As a small business owner, have you ever felt overwhelmed by the pressure of choosing the right hire or leading a team? Or have you ever found yourself tolerating a bad hire because you fear trying and failing again as you repeat the hiring process? If so, you're not alone and you are in the right place. Welcome to the Growing Your Team podcast. The Growing Your Team podcast teaches business owners like you to expand your unique business by teaching you to master the hiring and team management process. Hiring and managing a team does not have to be a challenge. You just have to learn to do it right. And the Growing Your Team podcast teaches you how to become a confident leader who hires right every single time. Now, let's jump into the show where each episode, you will learn tips on how to identify what type of help you need on your team, how to source amazing candidates, how to conduct interviews that lead you to your idea team member, how to onboard successfully, and how to lead every person in your business so you have a team of rock stars who you are happy to pay every single paycheck. So let's jump in and teach you how to hire like a pro. Hello, Jamie Van Kuyk here, and welcome back to the Growing Your Team podcast. Today, I have on guest Dane Sanders. Dane is CEO of TellMeYourDreams.com, a culture design firm that helps employees love their job. He's also a two-time best-selling author and public speaker. Seth Godin called his writing a precious gift. Dane also serves on Donald Miller's StoryBrand facilitator team. With degrees in business and philosophy, Dane taught leadership and character development at Westmount College, led the development efforts for academic centers at Biola University, and served on the executive team for Alpha USA. He lives with his wife and family in Auburn, California, and online at danesanders.com. Today, Dane and I are talking about how to motivate your employees. We talk about is money a true motivator and how to build a culture where your employees want to work for you long term. So let's jump right into the conversation. Hi, Dane. Thank you so much for joining us today on the Growing Your Team podcast. Thank you, Jamie. I'm so grateful to be here. Can you kick us off with taking a moment to introduce yourself? Absolutely. Yeah, I I like to share where I came from with some candor. I hope that's okay. Uh, When I started my uh, adult life, I went to college and I studied marketing. And at the end of my marketing degree, I felt like I had learned how to manipulate people to buy things they didn't want or need. And I felt really gross about it. So I decided to go in the opposite direction, as far away from marketing as I could imagine. And I chose philosophy. So I went to grad school and studied Aristotelian virtue ethics, which is simply uh, fancy words for, can you have a good life? How do you become a good person? Um, I was trying to just kind of get the residue of marketing off my body. And because uh, I had this vision of marketing that wasn't, it was just poor practice. It wasn't actually what marketing was. Um, anyways, fast forward. And I found myself, if you know anyone who's gone to grad school, 
to study philosophy, you know, they're either unemployed or they are teachers. And I was fortunate enough to become a teacher and I taught at a liberal arts college up in Santa Barbara and in California, and I taught leadership and character development. So um, it's interesting, given your line of work, the whole character piece I want to come back to later. But uh, it was a great excuse for me to talk about this good life or the possibility of a good life. And without having the kind of entanglements of like running a business or doing any of that sort of thing. Uh, but it was around that time, about 20 years ago, that I got to know uh, two individuals, uh, more than two, but these two in particular stand out for our conversation. The first was a guy named Seth Godin, who I know many of our listeners know. He's perhaps the greatest online marketer on the planet, certainly marketer, actually. Um, and I think uh, first when I met Seth through his writing and then more personally over time, um, he really infected me with some new ideas. And those ideas stuck and actually redeemed marketing for me. Now I've become a fan of marketing, I actually became an entrepreneur out of that season of my life. And um, I'm so, so grateful. And then the other individual uh, at that time who I met then, but really got to know many years later, uh, was a guy named Donald Miller. And Donald um, has written several books. At that time, he was writing memoirs. And since then, he's written a lot of books around narrative and story and how do you um, live up to it, your, uh, raise the story that you're living yourself, which is kind of that good life thing I was talking about earlier, as well as um, how can we help our organizations that we're running live into a bigger story, uh, a story that actually is helpful for our customers, whether they're internal customers, like people we're hiring or external customers, people who are hiring us. And, um, and it's really also been hugely formative into the work that I do today. Right now, I run an organization called Tell Me Your Dreams. We help employees love their job. Um, after we get good help from folks like you to actually have them become employees. And that idea of people flourishing at work, it has a redemptive impact and uh, hugely um, motivating for me as someone who gets a chance to work with a lot of different kinds of organizations to, to have that effect on the employees. Because when that happens, of course, retention goes way up, um, engagement goes way up. People are just more wholehearted in the workplace. Yes, yes, exactly. You know, going back to the beginning of your story, my one of my degrees too, I did a double minor and one of them was in marketing. Mm. And I kind of I kind of understand like that where you're coming from. It's like getting people to buy things that you know they they don't need. And mm. I know even when I first started my business, that was like sales was one of the hardest things for me because I was just like, yes. oh my gosh, am I convincing people to buy things they don't need? And it took a long time to really reframe that even in my own head. It's like I'm not convincing people to buy something that they don't need. I'm helping people get what they are looking for and what they yes. do need. Yes, you yeah. get it. And that magic is so profound when it's really more sorting than it is selling, uh, kind of trying to sort through who are the people that actually want what I have to offer? Yes. And how do I actually solve real problems that they're already thinking about before I even enter into the conversation? Yeah, it's like they're looking for a solution. And are you able to offer that solution if you are great? If not, mm -hmm. it's not a fit. You two can That's both right. move on and you can make space for the customer that is the fit and they can find the right person to serve and provide what they want. Mm, absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And then for what you're doing now, like I love, love the idea that of you know, getting employees to really love love their job. And yeah, you know, we get these great people on our teams. And I do think there's a difference between getting an employee or trying to force an employee to love their job versus making it so the job is lovable. Yeah, and that's it's more difficult to do that in industries that are like not as sexy as uh, you know the cool kids industries. But I think that there's something about helping people get enrolled in 
internal drivers of success as opposed to external drivers. So I think of uh, there's this wonderful book called The Dream Manager that talks about um, a custodial services business in Minneapolis where they had a 400% turnover per role in the company. So every year, the same role would turn four times. And the main reason was because um, these, uh, these individuals who had these, these jobs, which were good jobs and actually you know, higher paid than industry standard. And, um, but no one, when they were kids, thought, I can't wait. My dream when I grow up is to work in a custodial services company. Um, nobody, nobody had that dream. Um, and yet what they did was they, they kind of flipped the script and actually cared more about what was going on internally and what the people wanted bigger picture and de-emphasized, um, actually raised the level of the noble work that is uh, creating space, cleaning up um, and actually meeting people where they're at with what they wanted on a deeper level than just the surfacey, you know, free lunches and foosball that a lot of organizations offer. And that's what lit their hearts on fire. And I think that's what I'm, I dream of is this kind of ruthless commitment towards mission where the employees are, they're enrolled not to act like owners because oftentimes they're not owners, but to, to see their work as richly meaningful and calling them up to something and actually maybe even aligning with their own aspirations as a person. And when those things can kind of align uh, that's what you get is wholehearted people who are really giving their best, not because you're coercing them, but because they find the work itself inherently valuable. Right, right. I actually think I have that book, The Dream Manager, on my shelf back here. It's so worth a read. Yeah. Um, yeah. 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 Uh, but I do. I love I love all that because I feel like people, everybody needs to feel like there's some value to their job. And I feel like sometimes in companies, we focus so much on the people that are bringing in the sales that are helping to grow that revenue and everyone else kind of gets forgotten. Mm -hmm. And I know, for example, like when I was in um, corporate, I was an account manager that helped support the sales team after they made the sale, get everything into market. And one of the years my, the sales team that I worked for, they, um, they were the top producer in the organization. They were president of president's club. They got to go on this fancy vacation with all the salespeople. And I think I got like a $25 gift card. And I was just like, wait, I am here every day busting my butt for these accounts. The reason that the clients keep coming back is, is for part of the reason that I'm doing it. Yeah. You're going out the, and getting them to sign on a piece of paper, but what about me? And it was yeah. actually kind of very demotivating that I felt like the salespeople were the only people that were recognized for their work and the only people that really had that that motivation because they were going to get something great if things happen. And mm -hmm. it's kind of like this whole like trickle down effect. It's like they can only be great because all this other stuff is happening in the organization. So we really mm -hmm. have to recognize what each role is doing to make it so those great things happen. And when we and, and if we can't do that, is there really a purpose for that role to be there? Or are we just wasting money to have people in a position that's not needed? Yeah, it's interesting. Uh, when I think about an organization, you have a collective of individuals, right? So there's this is an age old conversation from Rousseau and Locke and all these fancy old people. Uh, the idea of like, what do you push, push first? Do you push the collective value? Like, what are we doing together as a team? Kind of the team sport approach. Or do you put the individual first and say, no, no, it's really about those people who finish the job, who close the deal and so on. And, and all of these things contribute, of course, to this bigger, you know, 
bucket of we think this thing we call culture like what do you what is your organization famous for what are they what's the reputation that they leave behind just like our character as individuals is our the mark we leave behind with people and i wonder in the situation you're describing if your experience would have been different jamie if in that organization they had a view of the individual as an atomic level part to the collective where they actually would meet in, in an individualized way with great clarity, like seeking clarity around what is their motivation? How are they wired? How was that wiring formed growing up? How do they make decisions now? And what are their motivations? What do they care about? What do they want? And, and then actually to, to build a kind of a, a forward progress plan for each of those individuals, regardless of their role, but where they saw themselves with dignity, where they saw themselves as being recognized by someone external to them, but ultimately to validate what they are committed to internally. That kind of conversation is just so rare. And you're right, we default to, gosh, who gets the touchdown? Uh, it's quarterback and, and receiver uh, or running back. But everyone else, the linemen who are in the league for three years and beat up their body and get kicked out, uh, they pay a price. But um, isn't it wonderful when we can find those very special organizations that go beyond just a bottom line, but actually are considered, they're interested in becoming a great organization where the people all of the individuals who are in support of that end zone um, are not only compensated, but they're appreciated for who they are as people. Right, right, exactly. And I love that, you know, you're bringing up like that who got the touchdown and all that, because that's always one of the things that I'm not a huge football person, but I always feel like you watch the Super Bowl and who gets the who gets the MVP at the end of the game, the quarterback, no matter what else anybody does, it's 99% of the time it's going to go to the quarterback. And you're like, yeah, that's great. But what about everybody else that made it possible? What about everyone that helped stop the other team from scoring that made it so it was possible? And it's always one of those things like, yeah, like we have to make sure that we're not always recognizing the person who's in a certain position, but recognizing, I think the individual. And you mentioned, the way people want to be recognized, the way people want to be motivated and having those conversations, because one of the things we'll realize is not everybody wants to be recognized and motivated the same way. And the person who wants the attention and wants the awards is different than the person who's like, yeah, I, I don't want that. Don't give me that attention. That's actually going to like, it makes me uncomfortable. So it's really knowing how your people want to be motivated and building them up the right way for them. Mm -hmm. Which begs the question, how do you find that out? How do you find out what, how people are motivated and what do they, um, if they're not, especially they're introverted and they're, maybe they don't even totally know uh, what motivates them. How do you kind of draw those pieces out? I'm curious in your work with hiring, how do you go about that? Yeah. So for in the hiring way, through a lot of kind of Q and A type things, a lot of times, and this is what we do with a lot of things as we're trying to pull it out of candidates. We don't ask the direct question a lot of times. It's not gonna be like, what motivated you? But asking a question about something where they, you know, for example, this morning I was actually on an, I was interviewing someone for a client and we were talking, it was for a sales position. So we were talking about their greatest sales achievement to date hmm. and learning from them, what do they mark as their greatest achievement and why, and digging more into that to really realize you learn stuff about it because some people will go in there and say, my greatest sales achievement is the one where I had, it, it was the largest dollar amount. Hmm. And then other people will go in there and say, well, my greatest sales achievement, you know what? It wasn't the largest contract I ever sold, 
but I was able to overcome obstacles to help get this for potential clients that they were told wasn't going to be possible at first, that it'd be really hard to get them what they needed. And I found a way to get it done. So it's kind of listening to that to say, what really, what do they like? What motivates them? Because that one that their greatest achievement was that top dollar, they're probably a little bit more money motivated than that one that their greatest achievement was helping to accomplish something that they didn't think was going to be possible at first. Mm -hmm. Do you think it's okay for people to be money motivated? So I think people are money motivated for the short term. I don't think people are really money motivated for the long term. And I actually think we saw a lot of this when we're looking over the past few years and the great resignation and everything. And I think there's a lot of people who switched jobs and left companies and everything that had the right intention. But there was a lot of people, I think, that took the next opportunity because of dollars first. And then they kind of regretted their decision. And then they were quickly looking for something new because they realized chasing the dollar wasn't going to give them everything that they wanted out of that next position. Interesting. So, but I do think money plays plays a thing and you have to make sure that people at least feel that, that they're getting what they're worth, but it's not going to keep someone around long-term if there's no other motivation in there. Yeah. What's your opinion on that? Yeah, it's probably a little contrary. Like uh, even the comments earlier around the quarterback and the the receiver and the who gets the MVP as a metaphor. Um, I'm not sure. I actually think the contra. I think every human has equal value in their own dignity. I don't think in an organization that the the tasks that people are are um, charged to go for and the talents that are they're looking to exercise are equal. Uh, there is more value in certain skills than other skills. Um, and at least in my, if I'm kind of thinking it as like assets on a balance sheet, that's what I would say. So there's kind of a couple of vantage points. So I'm looking at it from the perspective of what's actually going to help the organization grow. Then I would say revenue producing things are probably more valuable than cost centers, for example. Um, and yet, uh, and, and I would, uh, I shouldn't say any yet too quickly. Um, and I'd add to it that, um, in that kind of experience, it takes a lot of work on the part of the organization to, to hold that tension in play, where on the one hand, you're like, hey, if we don't grow, if we don't add revenue, more really profit, more revenue than expense, uh, we're not going to grow to where we want to go as an organization. Simultaneous to that, we have these real human beings that deserve the dignity of being recognized and appreciated for what they are doing. And, and really, I actually think that Encouraging people to get their motivation, not from extrinsic things like how much you get paid or what rank you have in an organization, but more intrinsic things like having competency and mastery over your skill and agency and autonomy in your life and really experiencing a sense of belonging in the workplace. When those things are present, no matter the rank I'm in, I can feel really appreciated and individuated, um, uh, even while someone might have a different skill set that is more valuable to what the objectives of the organization are. And I think if that's the case, they ought to be recognized and appreciated probably more than my role because my role is probably more easily replaced. Right. How's that for bold? How did I yeah. not make a friend right now with you, Jamie? I, I apologize. <laughs> hey, I am always for difference of opinions. I am one person. <laughs> that's great. My my husband might not agree with this statement, but I'm always not right with with everything. I you know, do know that I don't know everything. So yeah, I remember, there and, was a time in 1987 where I was wrong, and I I've been thinking about it ever since. That's right. I, I know. <laughs> so for those listening today, 
what is one thing that they can start doing with their team to really create that that sense of engagement and retain their team members? Yeah. You know, there is so much energy spent on if you if you picture like an organ uh, like a wheel and at the center of the wheel, let's make the hub the organization. And the organization will spend a lot of energy around kind of the mission and the vision and the values, at least healthy ones. And they'll try to uh, generate enough capital so they can properly compensate all of the folks on around the wheel of the organization. And there's a lot of tension drawn to, um, hey, let's really go for it. Let's really uh, buy into this mission. Let's enroll you in what we're doing. And on top of that, we're going to compensate you so much that we're expecting a disproportionate engagement on your part. And I think that's where organizations mess up. I think they they misunderstand fundamentally how individuals are motivated. And instead, like it's reasonable to say like, hey, I'm gonna pay you X amount of dollars and you're gonna give me X amount of time and talent. And that's the trade, that's the transaction. But what's not included in that trade or transaction is their heart, uh, their wholehearted commitment to the mission. And that's where I think organizations that are great tend to go one step further. They, they actually create space for the aspirations and dreams of the individuals, of the people, to at least acknowledge, like, if we want you to care disproportionately about our mission, we're gonna care disproportionately about your ambition, your dreams, what you have in store. And I think that's when those things are become kind of get airtime. Uh, you end, and they're not in conflict. But what you end up creating is a, a true symbiotic relationship where you don't just get their time and talent, but you actually get a wholehearted commitment to the thing. You, you, you trade out those mercenaries you were describing earlier, the kind of the quick buck short-termers uh, for, for missionaries, the believers, the people who are like, I, I, I bleed the colors of our uh, brand guide. I, I'm, I'm all in on this organization. But it's a rare organization that spends that kind of energy actually asking the question, what do you want? Um, how, how, how might your time here, while we have the privilege of you being a part of our organization, um, how will this be instrumental to who you're becoming as a person? And I think when you do that, that's when you create that the magic. Yeah, I like that. So when you say to sit down and really find out what they want and and everything, is it from a work perspective, but or is it also from a personal perspective? So kind of what they want and what their goals are outside of work? Yeah, it's a great question. I think that the most important thing is to look at the person holistically and not uh, just from their utility for the organization. I think when you look at them holistically, you really break down that. It's a false distinction, like work and life. Uh, when I'm at work, I have a life. And when I'm at life, I am employed. Uh, like there's both are and. And I encourage individuals to think of really their life as a as an existence in time and space where they have a number of projects that they care a lot about. Um, I'm married. It'll be 26 years tomorrow uh, to my wife, Tammy. We have four kids, one still in high school, three are adults. And we are, um, that's a major project in my life, a centerpiece, one of the centerpiece projects in my life. So as I, you know, I have a, a faith tradition that I'm radically committed to, and that's like the center of my world. Um, and I also have this, this, this um, really job that it's, it's a privilege to lead an organization that actually cares about like encouraging companies to go after these, uh, these dream and aspirations. So when I look at my whole of my life and all the different projects I run, I even run a project called, um, it's called Men and Women of Discomfort. And Men and Women of Discomfort um, literally is a group of people who get together and practice uncomfortable things. We voluntarily like hold our breath and get in cold water 
and um, work out a bunch and eat weird and and do good deeds anonymously for people and journal. And we do this over the course of 90 days and people have radical transformations. Like they get in really, really great shape, but more than that, they develop um, holistically who they are as people. All of these things are projects in my life. So if someone is asking me what my dreams are, how can I not include all of those things, including my job? Um, right. There's no way that would be a miss. It would be cutting out big chunks of who I am. And a lot of organizations are satisfied to do that. And they think, they're justified because they're paying people money. I disagree with that fundamentally. I think if you're going to actually find the truth about what is going on for people, if you want what Aristotle called a great conversation where you have intelligence, goodwill, and candor, if you want all three, the three legs of a great conversation, you're going to get intelligence because probably the people who are working for you are smart. But will you get candor? Will they tell you the truth, the whole of their dreams? Or are they afraid that if they tell you, they're going to somehow put their job in jeopardy? And um, will they have goodwill? Will they trust you that if they share this information, they're not unsafe? And I think when you create a space where all of those things are invited, what you actually call out is a sense of confidence. And um, you may not have these people forever because maybe their dreams someday are going to take them someplace else. But you want to know that, at least for the reason of like anticipating they're leaving and you can have a you can backfill the, the role. But more more likely what's going to happen is those people will stay longer because they realize even if they took a job that paid them an extra 10 grand or whatever, they won't have a company that actually helps them achieve their dreams. Because right. every if you're in an organization like that, um, you don't need your dream job. It, when everyone's uh, dreams are being achieved, regardless of rank and file, uh, it becomes, this, again, this magical environment. So my long-winded answer to your question is, uh, you'd be crazy to narrow it to people's professional lives. But yes. most of the time, I would say in my experience, we worked with hundreds and hundreds of employees now, uh, I'd bet you 60 to 70% of the time, they will come up with professional aspirations, professional dreams by default, and that's okay. But we also wanna invite people um, to be expansive in their perspective and then take their time so that over the course of their life, they're perpetual dream achievers. They're not just one and done with their dreams. They're actually, they start becoming the kinds of people that learn how to do hard things and to overcome obstacles and to become something that they've been dreaming of their whole lives. Yes, I love that. And um, it reminds me of a client I worked with a while ago. I've actually worked with them on a number of projects. One of the things that they do for all of their employees is they give them an allowance to go out and do certain things for goals on their personal side. So mm. that way it's like, hey, we want to support this, that here's money to go out and do guitar lessons or whatever it is on the personal life. So it's that a little additional like allowance that they get in addition to their normal paycheck. Mm. And then it also reminded me of the the company that my husband currently works for. It's like when they went and set their goals for the year, one of their goals was a personal goal. And they were actually told to take work time to go achieve that goal. So my husband, for his his personal goal is we, we're rock climbers. He's getting lead climb certified. And that's mm. his goal. So he gets to go and spend time at the gym to achieve his personal goal. And people are like, people are so confused. And I'm like, yeah, he's here because this is a goal. He needs to complete the certification by X date because of work. And they're like, Love wait, it. what? Work is actually like going to incentivizing him to work out and like, be, like do something outside of what he's producing for work. And it's like, yeah, but he feels like it's a company that actually cares about him now that's that it. he's not that's just a worker. He's it. a person. 
Yes, that seeing people as people as opposed to seeing them as utility or as resources, that's so problematic. Uh, it's just mm -hmm. so not the way we were made to, to work. And I do think there's there will always be ebb and flow in kind of the future of work. And I'm not um, um, idealistic about the way things are going to continue to go in the workplace. But I, I am a little bit um, uh, bullish on the idea that smart companies, the best companies, uh, the ones that haven't like, um, when I think about people who get paid a lot to work at say Amazon and what Amazon in my experience has been kind of famous for of, um, you know, getting people to be almost automated um, as opposed to um, organization. And I, I can't, it'd be very tough to run an organization like Amazon and not do that, by the way, I don't know what that's like. But uh, when you're in that kind of range where you're still talking to human beings, or even if you have a large organization, you have divisions, how can you break it down to make it more human? I think at least in an employees driven market, um, you'd be crazy to not be spending your time this way. The amount of money you save when the, the, the right talent doesn't leave, or you're able to land that amazing recruit, or even if you just get people to give more because they want to, not because you're pulling their teeth. Oh my gosh, that is the dream. Because in that context, people, they don't wake up on a Monday going, oh, they wake up on a Monday going, yes, I get to go do this work. Right, exactly. All right, well, we have to start wrapping up for today. So tell everybody how they can get in touch with you. Sure. Uh, my name is at Dane Sanders. I'm kind of all over the place on the internet, uh, but probably the easiest place uh, for what we do as organizationally is at tellmeyourdreams.com, tellmeyourdreams.com. Um, and I also have this fun little site. Uh, it's, just, it's literally a video walkie-talkie site called askdane.com. And uh, it's a fun kind of way to do follow-up where if individuals have questions, we can literally, you can go there, click the pink button, and we're in a personal one-to-one -one asynchronous video communication um, that you can drop out of anytime. It's not creepy. Uh, so it's an easy way to have a conversation. And uh, I love that we live in a moment where this kind of communication is possible. Uh, you don't have to go chase and stalk. You can actually talk to the real article. And um, if that is interesting to you, I'd be thrilled to pick up that conversation at askdane.com. Sounds good. And all those links will be in the show notes over at growingyourteam.com. All right, Dane, my last question for you that I love to ask all my guests. We have all had leaders or managers that have stood out to us both in our personal lives or our professional lives. Think of a great leader or manager that has stood out to you and share one thing about them. Mm. You know, it, it's a, I thought about, I knew this question was coming, right? And I, I've thought about it a little bit. And if I'm honest, um, there are some amazing leaders that I've had the privilege of working under and they, they modeled character. Like they really concerned themselves with who they were becoming. And I just wanted to be like them. Uh, it's funny. Interestingly, I was, I was on LinkedIn recently and I asked the question, like, what's the number one uh, kind of thing that you care about when you're hiring somebody? And I think 77% of the poll said character, not skill, not, and I was like, oh, that's cool. Then I asked a follow-up question. So what are you doing to help cultivate character? And are you developing your own character as a leader and crickets? Because uh, we don't really know how to do that very well. Uh, so first thing I'd answer is, man, those people who uh, just modeled those things, modeled that who they were becoming was more important than what they were doing or what, what they had. Those are, are heroes to me. 
But if I'm honest, the people that the leaders that I think about the most are the ones that I suffered under the struggling, like the difficult leaders, the managers that um, I was just thinking about one this morning and I won't name names, but uh, just I learned so much. I actually had the opportunity to grow my character, to grow my patience, to grow my uh, all the things that I wanted um, uh, to grow. I didn't I just wanted the character trait without the lifting without the training and when i think back of it it's actually those hard leaders that help me train the most not the abusive ones but the this is the difficult ones and i guess i'd say to listeners if you're in a situation where you have the privilege of being under great leadership right now what a gift good for you go thank that person today but if you are under the burden of someone that's just it's it's not toxic but it's challenging would you consider reframing that relationship in your mind as a gift as an opera as a get to not a have to that you actually have a chance to learn how to grow in this space in a way that you can't in another place. There's so much energy being spent on how do we get more support at work. Sometimes challenge offers unique things that you cannot get from support. And my encouragement as folks who are listening is just to, to reframe how they're relating with these sometimes difficult situations. Because I promise in the future, you'll look back and go, I'm, I'm actually grateful for those difficulties because they helped you become the kind of person you've become. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I do agree with that. I I think some of the more challenging leaders that I've had report to over the years. And I think they're in that moment, especially because I was very young in my career, they kind of, they very much discouraged me from a lot of things. And I was just like, especially as, as a woman, I was just like, oh my gosh, is this what it's like to be a woman leader? I don't want to be anything like this. But Mm -hmm. as I distanced myself from those leaders and got to exposed to great women leaders, I took those opportunities more as as learning, learning what I didn't want and how I could manage teams differently. So I wouldn't be those leaders that kind of just drain the team instead of motivating the team. So I feel like well, there's a lot to learn in all those situations. Absolutely. Well, it's funny. The lesson I'm just giving, I'm sharing right now, I actually learned from my favorite female lead, this woman named Jane Higa. Uh, she was about five foot nothing. Um, um, Asian woman at Westmont College, legend, didn't have a terminal degree. She didn't have a PhD, but she was a vice president at an amazing liberal arts college. And I remember asking Jane one time, like, how did you get into this position? How, how do all of your peers have PhDs and you don't? And you, you're not six foot seven, white, old, gray hair. Like, how did you get whatever? And all, this, all the tropes. And, and she, she looked me right in the eye and she said, Dane, um, I... I worked under some incredibly incompetent leaders and I persevered. And I remember this just stuck with me that the, it's very difficult to feel, to understand this in the short term when it's just a hard job, it's hard to go to work. But if you can persevere, um, the long game, the game that you were pointing to earlier, Jamie, is what will be the legacy bit. And uh, again, I'm not talking about toxic, abusive things like get out of those situations. You don't need to be there. But if it's just difficult, well, life is difficult. And um, I'm so grateful for that lesson from Jane because it really shifted the trajectory of my whole career. That's great. All right, Dane. Well, that's the end of today. So thank you so much for joining us on the Growing Your Team podcast. Jamie, thank you for leading in the way that you are and not just leading the organizations you get a chance to work with. Uh, with helping them grow their teams properly, but just for creating the space like this for more people to talk and connect around these really important ideas. I'm just so grateful to be here. Well, thank you. Are you getting ready to hire and you wrote a job posting for your open position? 
but now you're left wondering, will it attract the right candidates? Hiring isn't as simple as telling people that you're hiring and having your perfect candidate show up ready to fill the role. Hiring just doesn't work that way, especially in the current market. The best candidates only apply to the positions that appear to be the right fit for them. If they don't find a connection between their job wants and your job posting, they'll skip over and go to the next opportunity. And in many cases, the reality is it's not the job isn't what they're looking for. It's not the job posting just didn't hit the mark. So is your job posting helping candidates see that your opening is right for them? Or is it turning candidates away for all the wrong reasons? Let's find out. I am currently offering Will Your Job Posting Attract the Right Candidates audit. Through this audit, I will review your job posting. And I will tell you what's working and what needs to change so you can attract your idea candidates. So if you want your job posting reviewed by an expert before it goes live, or if you have a job posting that just is not hitting the mark in the current market, sign up for an audit. Let's review it and make the changes needed so you can attract your perfect fit team member. Because remember, you can't hire a candidate who never applies for your job. And most candidates won't apply if they don't feel connected to the job posting. So let's make sure you have a job posting that will attract all the right candidates and help you make this hiring journey easier. Go to growingyourteam.com slash audit and sign up for your audit today. Once again, that's growingyourteam.com slash audit.